without you, we have nothing. Lord, you're our shepherd, so we have all that we need. Lord, you lead us beside the peaceful still waters. Lord, you calm our souls in times of trouble. We thank you for who you are, God. We give you praise tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's go ahead and make our way back to our seats this evening. Amen. Who's glad to be at church tonight? Yes, yes, yes. We had a great service this morning. It was awesome seeing those six people get baptized, right? I mean, what a what a great time that was. And just seeing God speak into so many people's lives. It was really an awesome morning and a great message by Pastor, of course. And um, that brings us to tonight. We're on the Son of None, Part 7. This will be our final evening with Joshua. Don't cry, please. I see, I see tears. I think even Lawrence is crying. I mean, guys, listen, it's all right. There's other stuff in the Bible, but I know you've enjoyed this. So uh, we're going to get to it. <laughs> but who's had a good time studying the life of Joshua? I mean, amen. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, Joshua is no doubt one of my favorite Bible characters because, as we've said, he was a man's man. He was not a sissy. This guy was a warrior and he did amazing things for God because he, he had the audacity to believe the things that God uh, said to him and spoke into his life. And, you know, maybe if you haven't heard all the series, we've seen so far that Joshua took over for Moses when Moses, uh, it was time for him to move on into heaven. And Joshua led his people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River. They conquered the promised land. The first city they took down was Jericho. They shouted, the walls came down. You guys know that story. Then they just went on a, a, a campaign from there and just drove out city after city, kicking the people out and taking over the land that was promised to them. This wasn't mean of them. This was their God-given inheritance. So they had to go in and they drove out the inhabitants. And God did miracle after miracle. They won victory after victory the whole way through. And, and, you know, last week we saw where finally the northern armies of the land, they, they built this coalition to attack the Israelites. This says there were so many enemy soldiers that they looked like the sand on the seashore. But Joshua was not intimidated, even though it was it looked absolutely impossible. It was I mean, we're talking millions of, of soldiers against their army. But Joshua, he charged right to the front lines and they went and they just started kicking behind the drove people out. Then when the battle was over, Joshua heard, hey, there's still some giants living in those hills. We can go kick them out too. So Joshua in his old age, he charges up the mountains and they start driving out the, the, the giants that held him out of the promised land 40 years earlier. And so many people would have been content and said, well, you know, that was ancient history. Let's get over it. We got what we really wanted. Joshua said, no. I'm going to see to it that even after I'm gone, giants aren't going to come in and pick on my kids, my grandkids or the people after me. If there's giants still anywhere in this region, we're going to kick them out right now. So he charged the mountains and they kicked the giants out the descendants of Anak, and and they won another victory. And so it was a a really great story that we looked at last time. And uh, the next few chapters, if you were to study Joshua, those are the ones where there's not a lot of fighting. So, you know, especially if you're like me and you like reading war stories, they basically assigned the different tribes their plots of land. And that's cool, too. But what we're getting to tonight is this. It's Joshua's final advice 
before uh, he before he went on into heaven. We're looking at Joshua's final words. And I don't know about you, but if there's a man like Joshua that's seen the success, that's been through the battles and the wars and the slavery and the 40 years of desert, if he's getting ready to lay down his life and, and, and go on into his heavenly reward, I want to listen to what his final words are. This guy is loaded with wisdom. And I, I mean, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I've always had an interest in, in speaking to the, you know, my elders and the generations before me. Because listen, I know they know a lot more than I know. And I want to catch a little piece of this if they're willing to give me some of it. And so if anybody ever, if Joshua is going to give some advice right before his time comes, I'm all ears, man. I'm going to read this and I'm going to listen and I'm going to take some notes. And so tonight we're going to look at three, three of the kind of the final pieces of advice that Joshua gave to his people before he went on into heaven for his amazing reward. And I'll bet when he got there, man, it was just an ovation. So Joshua earned this. Um, but let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to get into what tonight's final lesson about the Son of None is. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much uh, for what we've seen out of the life of Joshua so far. Lord, if we could just be anywhere near what he was, Lord, the warrior and the man of God, we would we would be doing really good. So I pray that we have that same spirit that Joshua had tonight, Lord, that spirit of conquering, that spirit that can't be defeated, Lord. We want that, and we know it's your Holy Spirit. So as we study this, open our hearts and minds to your word. Speak to each person here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's look at Joshua chapter 23. Joshua 23 tonight. Amen. Joshua 23. And we're going to look at the first few verses there, and this will kind of be our opening text for what we're going to see tonight from Joshua. So Joshua 23, and in fact, your Bible may label this Joshua's final words to Israel. But Joshua chapter 23, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And when you're there, give me an amen. amen. All right, sounds like enough of you. I'll go ahead and read. It says this. Oh, get away from Pastor. He knows where it's at, I promise. He does. All right, Joshua 23, verse 1, it says, The years passed, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who was now very old, called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I am now a very old man. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. I mean, can you imagine this? man of God. This is the way to go out. I mean, he's 110 years old and, and just be able to call everyone around and have a conversation, give some advice. This is how I want to go right here. But look at this. He says, you've seen everything that's happened. The Lord's fought for you against your enemies. I have allotted to you as your homeland, all the land of the nations yet unconquered, as well as the land of those we have already conquered from the Jordan River uh, to the, to the Mediterranean Sea in the, in the West. This land will be yours, for the Lord your God himself will drive out all the people living there now. You will take possession of their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. So Joshua conquered so much of it, there was still, still even yet, there was still some more to go. And he's like, guys, God's going to finish this up for you. Um, you know, my time's come. You guys just keep sticking close to God. And so now I'm going to get to the first thing that I want to tell you of Joshua's, Joshua's final bits of advice. Number one is this. Obey the word. What I'm getting ready to show you. Obey the word. And yeah, you know, you know, you may be sitting here. Well, yeah, we knew that. No, listen. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to 
obey the word. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. So many people, you know, they, they read this like, oh, I know that. I mean, I've, I've heard that for a hundred years now. And listen, it's one thing to be a hearer of the word. It's another to be a doer of the word. Joshua was not just a hearer of the word. Joshua, the son of Nun, was a doer of the word of God. And that's why he was a champion everywhere he went. All right. It wasn't because he was so special and he just had these amazing special skills. He just did what God told him to do. And because of that, he always won. If you'll do what God says to do, man, that's the best game plan you can possibly have. So uh, Joshua, he was a man that knew the word. As we've proven, he spent years of his life. Not only reading the books of the law and the book of instruction that Moses wrote, but he also spoke the word of God day in and day out. But this book, the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. And so Joshua, God spoke that. He walked around day in and day out. Speaking the word of God that he had. And I mean, he didn't even have the New Testament yet. Do you realize the advantage that you have? You have, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You have Ephesians 6, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. You have so many verses at your disposal that Joshua would have been like, oh man, that's a good one. So listen, you've got a massive advantage over anybody ever. You've got the New Testament. You have the fact that Jesus Christ has already come. He died and rose again. You have God on your side. If God is for you, who can be against you? You have got everything you need to win like right there sitting in your lap right now you are so blessed that you don't even know how blessed you are and so joshua he's a man of the word he knows this he's been speaking it for years when people thought he was crazy when people were like why are you talking to yourself he had to say hold on you just back off this is going to get me somewhere and so joshua 23 Verse 6, and so here's what he starts saying to these people. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. That's, that's the word that they had at that point in time. He said, be careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Now that's a very bold and very concrete statement right there. He says, listen, what I want to tell you guys before I die is this. Be very careful to obey everything that's in the word. Don't deviate. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Just do exactly what it says. I'm telling you, it'll work. Just do exactly what the word says. Now, I know a lot of times in our lives, we're used to, you know, we like to take artistic liberties with different things. You know what I mean? Maybe you have a recipe you like and you like to deviate a little bit. You like to add a little, take a little bit away, make it your own flavor. That's great if you're baking a cake. That doesn't work with your life. That, 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 I've learned that. And if you, just, if you want to just take my word for it, take my word for it. Listen, you can do that when you're trying to cook cupcakes or something. But when it comes to your life and to the lives of your children, don't risk it. Don't deviate turning either to the left or to the right. Just listen to Joshua. He said, just do exactly what it says. Follow the book of instruction to the T. And, and I can imagine people saying, Joshua, you've, you've had such success. I mean, if they were interviewing him or people trying to write down words of wisdom, what's your secret to success? I do exactly what the word says. I don't turn to the right or to the left. I just do what this book says. 
It's not that complicated. I just do what it says. If it says to treat other people nice, I do that. If it says to trust God when it looks bad, I just do it. And every time I come out on top, I mean, it's not rocket science. I just do what that book says to do. And I mean, that, that again, that's a serious, serious advantage that you have over everybody else. Think of all the fools that don't even believe in the Bible. I mean, seriously, when they come up against trouble, when they come up against a problem, I know people and I see people that they have no idea what to do. They jump off of the deep end and they never recover. Then I see a born-again Christian go through the exact same thing and they're fine. They've got a, they've got a whistle, they're, they're, they've got a skip in their step, they've got the joy of the Lord. And, and it's like, you know, people can be saying, what's wrong with you? Everything seems like it's crashing. But no, man, they know, listen, I'm just going to obey this book right here and in the end it's going to work out because it always does. And that's the attitude that Joshua had. And so I know a lot of times people think, well, I know the Bible says this, but my situation's a little bit different than what everybody else is going through. No. First Corinthians 10, 13 says that the troubles that you go through are no different than what anybody else goes through. But God is faithful and he'll make a way of escape. He will make a way to endure through whatever it is you're going through. But you've got to get it out of your mind. You know, and I, this is not mean. I'm just telling you the truth that nobody else knows this. Nobody else has been through this. The Bible says right there. And Peter said the same thing. Like, listen, the stuff you're going through. People all over the world are going through the exact same thing, probably worse things. But, you know, that's another story. So you're not the only one. The devil likes to make you feel isolated. He will, he will isolate you to death, man, if you'll let him. He'll, he wants you to feel like you're a thousand miles from the nearest person that's gone through anything like that. But sometimes you'll be surprised to find that the very people sitting in your row at church may be going through the same thing right now or something similar, or they've already conquered that mountain at one point or another. But listen, the stuff you're going through, it's not unique to you. You're not the only one that's ever faced it. Somebody else has, and the answer for everybody is the same thing. Follow what the Word of God says. And, you know, this whole series, I've been comparing things that Joshua said with things that David said. And Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. But the whole chapter of Psalm 119 is David talking about how how important the word is he he'll use he uses different phrases you know this this book of instruction it brings joy you know this this book of the law he keeps using that but i want to show you something that david said in psalm 119 verse 72 look at psalm 119 hold your place in joshua but psalm 119 verse 72 and you would really enjoy psalm 119 if you read the whole thing but you know give yourself a few minutes because depending on your reading level that it could take a while but psalm 119 psalm 119 verse 72 And some people have said that this is a psalm that David wrote for his son Solomon to teach him the way. And, and, and to actually, it, it, it teaches the Hebrew alphabet if you want to break it down. It's, uh, there's 22 stanzas and each different, chap, each different section of verses starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You know, if you wanted to know that. But anyway, so David wrote this. They say for his son Solomon. But look at Psalm 119, verse 72. He says, your instructions or your word are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. 
That's what David had to say about the word of God, the book of instruction, the, the law, whatever you want to call it. He said, it's more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. And so David, you know, he's a king. He knows what it's like to have some wealth. He knows what it's like to have good things. And he's saying, listen, the word of God is worth more to me than all the money in the world. The word of God is worth more to me than being the most powerful man on earth. I, would, I wouldn't give anything. There's no price you could put on the word of God. And that's how I feel, man. You know, come in and, you know, I, I love my guitars and different things. You know, I, if you stole my guitars, I'd be upset, but I'd get over it. Don't mess with my Bible, all right? Do not touch my Bible. I will hunt you down for my Bible. And, you know, it sounds terrible, but that's that's for real, man. This book right here, this is the key to everything in life. Anything that I'm going to be, anything that I could ever hope to accomplish or have or want my children to be, it's contained right here in this book. You can't take this away from me. I, I, you know what I mean? People have given their lives for real. People have given their lives so you could have a Bible in your lap. And I mean, it's, and it's sad when we aren't thankful for having a Bible. You know, I, I see people leave their Bibles here all week. You know, I'm not going to judge or be mean, but that's sad. I don't, don't leave your Bible at church all week long. That's sad. And, you know, you, you, this thing is so important to me, man. And, it, and I know it is with so many of you guys. But the price that people paid to get the Bible to where it is. And think about, I'm probably going to get way off topic here, but I'm going to try to go fast. But think about the, the price that people have paid to, to have it. Even some people, if they have one page of the Bible in different countries, man, if they could just get one page, they're like, oh, my gosh. I've got a page of the Bible. I have a page of the Bible. I have a page of the Word of God. And here you are with 66 books. I mean, come on. You've got it good, man. You are fortunate to have this thing. And to think about the people that over thousands of years have worked at translating it and protecting it from different invading armies, trying to take it away and burn it. And they've done everything. They've given their lives for the Bible. And to realize that there are no conflicts, there's no mistranslations out of thousands of years. It's still the integrity. I mean, the Dead Sea Scrolls proved that when they were discovered in 1948, that the Bible that you have is the exact same thing, word for word, that they had in the Old Testament. It's the Word of God. It's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it works for people that will pick it up and speak it. I know some people, well, then don't work for me. I know. Well, yeah, you're the type of person that I see your Bible laying here until you come back next month. Yeah, of course it doesn't work for you. You don't even use it. Now, you know what I mean? You can't blame the sword if you never pick it up. Pick this thing up and use it and go to battle, man. And so that's what Joshua, that's what Joshua was saying to these guys. He's like, listen, there's still a little bit of land to be conquered, and you guys can do it. But I want you to know this right now. What's got me this far is... I've obeyed the book of instruction from Moses. I don't deviate from the left or to the right. You want to know what's made me a success? I just follow it word for word. That's all I do. I follow the word of God. I don't look to the right or to the left, what everybody else is doing. I just follow this book right here. And it's gotten me this far. And so that's, that's pretty good advice, don't you think? I mean, that's not that complicated. That's not that hard to understand. Just follow it. And the second thing, we're back in Joshua. Now, the second thing that Joshua told these guys is you need to reverence God or to be more specifically, he says, listen, fear God, respect him, reverence him, treat him right. Joshua chapter 24 
And we could read all of 23, but we don't have time for that. But, I mean, you should go home and read it. Read all of Joshua 23. But now, down to chapter 24, verse 14. And, you know, Joshua's recapping some of the great things God's done. But then he gets down to the next thing he wants to say. Joshua 24, verse 14. He says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But I want to get at this first thing he says here. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. And as you know, to fear God doesn't mean you're afraid of him, like he's going to hurt you. God's not going to hurt you. You don't have to be afraid of God. To fear God means to reverence him. To reverence him, if you want to break it down into the most basic English terms, to reverence him means to respect him. And if you really love someone and you really respect someone, it'll change the way that you behave, especially towards them. But when you get the fear of the Lord inside of your heart, it'll change the way you live your life. It absolutely, it'll change everything you do. And I, you know, we did a whole series on this last year, but, but I'll say this, that most of my, I guess, Christian life, you know, I'd always loved God and, and served him. But finally, when I really understood, and I studied this out several years ago, I, as much as I could, I studied the fear of the Lord as much as I could. When I really understood what the fear of the Lord was, that right there changed my life more than anything has ever changed my life. That one thing, and I will stand by that. When I learned to fear God, that changed my life more than anything has ever changed my life other than receiving Jesus as my Savior. But... That's the absolute truth. Because I always thought, I've read all these verses, well, the fear of the Lord brings joy. And I'm like, why does it bring joy if you're so afraid of him all the time? I thought it meant that you were afraid or you were scared. But it doesn't mean that. It means you respect and you reverence God. And when you get to a place of truly fearing the Lord, as I said, it'll change everything you do. You think twice before you watch that movie. You think twice before you say those words. You think twice. And you're like, you know, and the reason for that is because, listen. I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt God's feelings. It's not that I'm afraid that he's going to smite me or, or smack me, you know, because that's not a good reason to obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So being, being afraid of judgment isn't a reason to obey. But when you're obeying God because you love him so much and you have so much respect and you're like, you know what? I know everybody else is doing this, but I don't think that that would make God feel very good. I, I don't, that's disrespectful to God for me to act that way or to go to this place. That's disrespectful to, towards him and the way he feels. I'm not going to do that. You know, when you're married, there's different things you don't do, even if it doesn't bother you, but maybe it bothers your, your spouse. And out of respect to them, you don't do it. How much more so should we treat God that way and say, you know what? I know that, uh, that I don't think that would make God feel very good. I'm not going to do that. I have too much respect for him to do that. And Joshua was that type of man that he feared God. Now, we're going to look really quickly at the New Testament here. But I want to uh, hold your place in Joshua. Luke chapter 6. Luke 6. So just really pay attention tonight because I'm trying to fit it all in here. We had some good testimonies, and I'm trying to just, I want to get this into you. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And, and I mean, this, Luke six forty-six is a great verse. This is a great verse. Luke 6, verse 46. And this is an honest question from Jesus that I think makes perfect sense. But he says this to these guys. He says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Whoa! Man, that, that's a good question. I mean, seriously, it doesn't make any sense for you to say, 
Jesus, you're my Lord. Lord, Lord, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And you don't do anything he says. Jesus, was, he was confused. He's like, I, I love all you guys. You're good people. But why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? It was confusing. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, that, that would just, that, that, that's just a very confusing thing. And that's not to make anybody feel bad or to put down. But I see a lot of people, and, you know, I want to come up and say, why do you call him Lord, Lord, when you don't do anything he says? You know, I don't say that to people, but, but it's the truth. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do anything I say? Because when someone's your Lord, you obey what they say. You, you obey what they're telling you to do. If someone's your boss, you know, if I come up and call you boss all the time, and, you know, it maybe if someone, you know, you are my boss. Hey, boss, how's it going? Boss, good to see you, boss. And he tells me to go sweep the floor. No, no, I'm not going to do that. No. Man, fight someone else. Are you kidding me? I'm going to go play video games in the office. Watch YouTube videos all day. You know what I mean? You know, find someone else. But thanks, thanks, boss. Love you, boss. You're a good boss. After a while, the boss should say, why do you call me boss when you don't ever do anything I say? I tell you to sweep, you won't do it. I tell you to go over here, you won't do it. I tell you to answer the phones, you say no. Don't even call me boss anymore. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm not your boss. You know, a good boss would, would can somebody that did that. But anyway... You know, and so Jesus has a very great question. Why? I'm confused. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, but you don't do anything I say? Uh, it's confusing to me. And so we can read the rest of these, these next couple of verses real quick here. But verse 47, he says, I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. That's the life of Joshua. Floods came, enemies came, trouble came, but he came to Jesus. He listened to his teaching and he did what he said. And those are three simple steps. That's what Jesus said right there. And because of that, when all these things came, he was fine. He withstood every single storm. We look at verse 49. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey, uh-oh, anyone who hears and does not obey, is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Two guys, both built a house, same storm came, one guy's still standing fine, the other guy is completely wiped out because he didn't even have a foundation. That's powerful. Because these two guys, they both came to Jesus. They both heard the word. So they got these two things in common, but one of them did not obey the word. So that tells me it's a great, obviously, it's a great thing to come to Jesus. You've got to do that. It's a great thing to hear the word. But if you don't obey the word, if you don't respect God enough to do what he's telling you to do, then, listen, floods and storms can come and you don't have a foundation. You are a house without a foundation. And that's a disaster waiting to happen. Because it does not take much to wipe out a house that has no foundation. The house can be beautiful on the outside. It can be huge. It can be a mansion. You can have a game room and everything else. And one of these barstow winds could come through and, and it is gone. Because a house without a foundation is a disaster waiting to happen. And a Christian that hears the word but doesn't obey, they are a disaster waiting to happen. Something bad is going to happen with that situation. And I can guarantee that. 
That's a, that's a, I mean, you know, and, and we're there to help pick up the pieces, but that's sad, man. I don't want to see that. I want to see all of us be everything that God wants us to be. And so Jesus, those, those are some pretty harsh words right there, but it's the truth. So we got to obey the word and you've got to fear God. You've got to reverence him enough to, to change your lifestyle and to obey the things that he's saying. One more New Testament uh, thing here. John 15, verse five, flip back to John, over to John 15. John 15, verse 5. John 15 and verse 5. And this is a great passage. It's the story of Jesus being the vine. But John 15, verses 5 and 6. And Jesus was a straight shooter, man. Yeah, you know, he, lo- he was the most loving person to ever walked this earth. But he loved people enough to speak the truth to him. And so John 15, verse 5. He says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, you can't do anything at all. Verse 6, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. And so that tells me that just because at one point you were attached to bearing fruit, if you walk away, man, and, and I promise, this is, sounds a lot like his sermon this morning. We did not collaborate. I had no idea he was going to preach that. This sounds a lot like what he preached this morning. He's saying, listen, if you don't remain in me, you were with me one time and you just fell away. It's like the only thing we can do with a bunch of dead branches is gather them into a pile to be burned. You know, I grew up in the country. We had apple trees and pear trees. You know, when branches weren't producing fruit, there's only one thing you can do. You got to cut them off. You got to throw them in a pile. And you got to burn them because they're not doing anybody any good. They're dead weight. They're hurting the rest of the tree. And that's sad, but that's what Jesus said has to happen. And I don't want to be thrown into the dead branch pile and, you know, burned. I mean, that's sad. And Jesus said that's what happens. And so Joshua's instructions were... Obey the word of God and fear God. Stick as close to him as you can. Don't deviate. Don't look away. Don't wonder what life is like on the other side of the fence. Don't worry what it would be like. Don't think about those old times. It makes me sad when I hear Christians say, oh man, yeah, those were, those were the days back then. Me and my, my buddies, my amigos, we used to, man, we could put down some beer. We could, whoa, those were good times, but I'm, I'm saved now, so I don't do that. Why on earth would you want to look back at that junk, man? Seriously. Those, those are moments I would be ashamed of, and it's under the blood. But I want to look back and think about that junk. That's pathetic. And so, yeah, I mean, I hear, I hear people doing that. Yeah, those were the days, but of course I don't do that now. I go to church. <laughs> and give me a break. That's sad. So anyway, Jesus said, or uh, uh, Joshua was saying, the next thing that got me to where I am is, I fear God. And I'm going to go ahead and go down to the third point, because this is the main thing that I want to get at tonight. Very famous verse out of the Bible that Joshua said. This is a game changer. This is a statement. This is a declaration that you, and I'm really talking to adults in here, especially parents, grandparents, but everybody. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This right here, man, is a verse that I quote every day. It's written in my little book of verses. I flip to this bad boy and I quote the whole thing. But Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Turn there. Joshua 24 and verse 15. And I can imagine 
Joshua, 110 years old. He's still got fire in his bones. He's a, he's a warrior to the end. He's a man of God. And he's getting ready to die, but he has the guts to say something like this. He's talking to all these, these young whippersnappers that are going to lead the next generation here. He's talking to all these people that are gathered around him for final words of advice. You probably see some of the young guys wandering away a little bit, wondering what it's like. Well, you know, the Amorites, they do this over here, and the, you know, the otherites do this, and the Perizzites and the Jebusites, they, they're all doing this. And, you know, that looks kind of interesting, you know. And Joshua, here's what he has to say, Joshua 24:15. He's like, all right, listen, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, if it's not cool anymore... Choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But check this out. But as for me, my house, my family, my people, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what anybody else does. We will serve the Lord. So if, if this, this whole thing seems too hard for you, seems too harsh, if it seems evil, kids, you know, I can just say, if, if it's not cool anymore, that's fine. Choose for yourselves who you're going to serve. I'm not going to make you serve God. It's your choice. It is your choice. And, and I mean, if we could make people serve God, I would do it. If I, you know, if there was just some way to make them do it, we would. But you can't. So Joshua said, listen. Choice is yours. I'm getting ready to die. I can't force you to do anything. Do what you want to do. You can, you know, bow down to the idols they used to worship back there in Egypt. You can, you know, all the other kids around here, you know, the, the, the Amorites do their thing. But listen, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And this is, I mean, this is a passionate verse for me because it was modeled in front of me my entire life. There was stuff that other people did that I, I didn't do. I couldn't do. And I'm fine with that. And I'm glad for that, that my parents didn't let me do what everybody else was doing. Because a whole lot of people that I knew from back then, you know, that it just it didn't turn out so well. And I'm not being mean. That just didn't work out. I'm glad that my dad and my mom were able to say, listen, I know they're all doing this. That's fine. They can choose what they're going to do. But as for us, we're going to serve the Lord. I have this mounted beside my front door on a little uh, uh, iron plaque, you know. And when the, the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door, and you know, all the time, and they see that, and they're like, oh, we see you're a man of faith. Yeah, you want to go? Anyway, so. <laughs> oh, we can do this, but, you know, I don't want to, you know. Nice people, but let's not do that. All right. So every man or woman... Of God needs to know this verse and, and you need to follow it and you need to proclaim this over your house. Your kids need to know this. They, they have got to know this. And, and I firmly believe that your children will follow your example. I mean, you know, it's just fact that kids do what they see more so than what they hear. If they see fits of rage and then you tell them, hey, that, you know, eh, be, be nice to your friends. They're not going to listen. They're going to go into fits. If they see you lying and stealing and cheating, that, that's what they're going to do because that's what they see. And so one thing, especially speaking to dads in the house tonight, especially speaking to dads and grandpas, you know, I've shared this before, but statistics show that no matter how faithful a mom is in her church attendance, if the dad doesn't go regularly, the overwhelming majority of those kids quit going to church as soon as they can. It is very, very rare. 
And I know that, and you know, we've got wonderful single moms that are, you know, I'm not putting, trying to put doubt or fear into them. I'm trying to encourage the dads and grandpas and everybody in here tonight about this, okay? But it's, it's pretty rare for a kid that their dad didn't go to church. It, it, it gets slimmer and slimmer that, that they end up being a church attender when they grow up. Kids, they, and it's also proven that women are generally speaking more in touch spiritually than men. That's why you always see more women in church than men. That's just a fact. And in every church in America, you'll see more, more women in church than men because they're, you know, they're more sensitive to those things. But men, listen, you have got to take this seriously. You've got to take your spiritual leadership role very, very seriously and model that in front of your children. You've got to get them in here. You've got to be here yourself. You've got to do it. It's that important. And that, this is one of the, the most important things to me that I could ever see. And, and another thing is this, is, is so many parents these days that give their kids the choice on whether they want to go to church that day or not. Again, hey, this, if this hurts your feelings, and I'm sorry about that, but let's get real for just a second. I never in my life, not one time ever, not one time ever, out of 18 years in that household, not one time ever was I asked if I wanted to go to church that Sunday morning, that Sunday night, that Wednesday morning, or that Wednesday I used to go to, and sometimes we had two Sunday morning services. There was a point in time that I went to five church services every single week. And I, I didn't care, man. It's just what we did. And there was never one time, and I mean, I'm serious, I, I couldn't calculate, and most of you couldn't either, the number of services that I have been to in the last 30 years. Thousands, it has to be. At one point in time, we had church for 63 straight days in a row. Every day for 63 days in a row, we had church because there was revival. And it was awesome, and I loved it. And, and, and it's, it's just, I don't understand. I, don't, I can't fathom it. it. It doesn't calculate. Maybe I'm dense or slow or something. But I, I doesn't, those, that connection doesn't happen for me to ask my kids if they feel like going that day. I don't get it. And I will say this also, that out of the families that I have seen... And this is my personal observation. I thought long and hard about this. Out of the families that I have seen that have given their kids the choice to go to church, especially at this church, because I I know this better even than the church I grew up in. The families that I have seen that have made church optional, the stat that I came up with is 0% of those kids have stayed going to church after they turned 18. I haven't haven't found one that, that I know, that I know. And maybe you know some, or maybe you are one. But but for me, out of out of my searching, my mind, and I took some time. What I found out is zero that I know that church was an option. Zero that I can think of actually stayed in church later. And to me, that that's that's sad, because we those same people they could you know say, well, yeah, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But. But listen, it's more than just a, a cute phrase to put on your door. You've got to be a man and a woman, like, just like Joshua that says, Listen, I don't care that your friend isn't going to church today. I don't care what they're doing. That's their business. They can talk to God about that. But you listen here. As for me and my house, 
we'll serve the Lord. We're going to tithe. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to go to church. You're going to treat other people right, even if they're mean to you. I don't care if they said it first. You're going to turn the other cheek because we serve the Lord. I don't care if they did that first or, or if all your other friends are going to this place. You're not doing it because we're not them. We're going to serve the Lord. And that's the type. And you've got to stick to it. It's got to be so on fire inside of you. Joshua wasn't kidding when he said this. He wasn't sitting there thinking, you know what, some final words. I'll bet if I said, that, that would sound kind of cute. People could put it on t-shirts and refrigerators later on. Get bumper stickers. In America, they're going to love this someday. Okay, write this down, everybody. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No! He was bold. He was, he was mad. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You choose what you're going to do. And that's the type of stand, that's the type of declaration that you have got to make. This cannot be uh, just some in and out, half of the time thing. It's a commitment and your kids are going to pick that up. And if I fail at a lot of other things in life, that'll be sad, but I don't want to fail at this one thing. If I, you know, if I never make a million dollars, whatever. If I never own a brand new car again, fine. If I never, you know, am elected to some position, I'll get over it. But if my kids fail, if they don't serve the Lord, if they wander away, no, it's not going to happen. I'll say it right now. That, that will not happen. They're going to serve God every day of their life. They're going to do it because I'm, I'm going to put up a fight. I will fight to the end. I will fight with everything I've got. Just like Joshua did, it's that important to me. You know this verse, Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so, you know, that, that's something that you've got, to, you've got to speak and claim over your children. Solomon said that. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so this is a serious commitment. But these are some of the final words of Joshua. He said, listen to me. You obey the word of God, and I'm not joking around, you obey the word of God, guys. The second thing is this, you fear God, you respect him, you do not disrespect our God. He's bailed your butt out so many times, don't you dare disrespect him. Don't you dare walk away and wonder what it's like to serve other gods or, or to, to feel these pleasures and drink these things. Don't you even think about that. How dare you disrespect God that way. And then the third thing he said is, listen... Everybody else, no matter what they do, whatever, but I'm going to serve God and serve my children and my grandchildren. They're going to serve the Lord. And I'm telling you, I like the results that Joshua got. I love the results he got. And I can look at different people's lives and, you know, sometimes you'll see some rich, famous person write a book on success and people flock by the hordes to go buy it. Oh my gosh, he, you know, he's, he's going to tell us how he made millions. And anyway, yeah, but... I don't really care for the results of most celebrities and famous people's lives. The majority, I want to be nothing at all like them. I don't care how rich they are. I want nothing to do with them. But right here is one man that I can respect. One man that if I, if I go down and at my funeral they say, he was a lot like Joshua. Yeah, I would be, I would be great with that. And so these are some of the final words of Joshua. But I want to show you the ending to Joshua's story. Joshua 24, verse 29. Joshua 24, verse 29. Check this out. Joshua 24, verse 29. 
So after he said all these wonderful things, and he got even more passionate about destroying idols. That's a cute thing to read if you want to read that. But look at verse 29. It says, After this, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Man, what 110 years this man lived. It says, They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And so that's where he's buried. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. And so they listened to him. Those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel, they continued serving God. And yes, we know if you keep reading later on, they turned away way later. But because of the stand that Joshua had, because of the stand he made, he, he left an impact on future generations. And he conquered, he kicked behind, he drove giants out, he did everything. He, he is the one that got them to the promised land. And it's because he obeyed. He feared God. He respected God so much. And he didn't deviate from the things that God said to do. And he made a stand for his family that we're going to serve God even if nobody else does. Even if nobody else in all of Israel ever serves God again. Even if nobody else in Barstow ever picks up a Bible again. I can tell you exactly what me and my wife and kids will be doing. The same thing we've always done. Just like Joshua did. And so... One of the main things I want you to take out of this series, though, after studying all this, is Joshua 24:15, and then Joshua 1:7, where he said, "This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth." I want you to speak the word of God in your life. Speak the word. And so many of you came up and said, "I've started doing that, and I, I, I'm feeling it. I'm getting it. It's starting to come alive in me." Speak the word. Take a stand, fear God, and you're going to live a life like Joshua. You're going to be more than a conqueror. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and stand up tonight.